Welcome to Primarily, the podcast all about the 2020 U.S. Democratic primary. Today is Friday, the 23rd of November, and I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving full of turkey and pie. Earlier this month, Democrats won an unprecedented victory in the midterm elections, winning the popular vote by more than eight points and climbing as votes continue to be counted in in California. And it looks like we're on track to gain more seats than we've won in the House since more or less Watergate, um, about 40 seats, assuming that all goes as we expect it to. In this first episode of the podcast, I want to talk a little bit about the ways that Democrats won that midterm victory and what it might mean for the way that we should be running in 2020. Um, I'll also talk a little bit about which people are already making early moves that suggest they're preparing a run for the presidency. Um, It looks like it's probably going to be a pretty long list of people this year. Um, And I think that's that's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, I think it might be quite a good thing. Um, But who are those people and, and what is the relative positions that they're trying to claim for themselves within the party? And finally, I want to conclude with a segment I call, What Are You Gonna Do? Where I'll try to point you to a few constructive actions you can take this week to support progressive politics and candidates at the country around the country, both at a national and at a state and local level. So thanks for listening. And here we go. So the first question you might be asking is, isn't it a bit early for all this primary talk? After all, the election for president is two years away. We just had the midterms. Chill, everyone. Let's all just go away and do something else for a little while. Well, yes and no. Um, yes, it is It is too early in that the election is two years away. So that feels like a really long time. And do we not ever get a break between elections? No, it's not too early to start talking about the primary for, for two reasons. First of all, the stakes for this election are monumentally high. Um, For us, Trump has been systematically busy dismantling many of the institutions that make American government function. Um, He's been hollowing out the State Department. He's been working to end both um, not only illegal, but legal immigration as we know it. Um, During the election cycle, during the midterms, he deployed the military for clearly a purely partisan political reason, posting them at the border um, with no military cause. Um, He's been personally profiting from the presidency. He's been appointing corrupt cabinet officers who are also personally profiting profiting from from their roles. He's been openly abandoning any pretense of moral leadership in the world, for example, by essentially endorsing or condoning the um, the murder uh, by the Saudi Arabian regime of the journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Um, realistically, we, we have a very significant problem on our hands as a nation. Um, and for Democrats, realistically, it is a long shot to imagine that Trump will resign or be impeached before the next election, even though I, I would argue he should. Um, both, both resign and be impeached would be appropriate actions. Um, he could very well win re-election. Um, it is not by any means a given uh, that our candidate will win. Any incumbent president has to be considered as having a very good chance of being re-elected um, just in any situation. So the stakes are really high, and therefore it's not surprising that Democrats are very eager to find an amazing candidate. That's why there is so much talk about um, potential, potential Democratic frontrunners at this point. 
there has been some criticism, perhaps, of Democrats, which which may be fair. Um, the Democrats have a bit of a savior complex that we're kind of desperately waiting at this time in history for someone to ride in and save the country, whether that person be Bob Mueller through a finding in his Russia, Russia investigation or through finding an appealing young congressional congressman like Beto O'Rourke to be our flag bearer for the for the election, um, and and that's. You know that that's problematic. We we can't save the country just with one superhero zooming in to save us. Um, we we will need to all pull together. But equally, it's understandable that we're looking for someone to be a spokesperson for these concerns. Um, but the other reason why it's not too early to start talking about twenty twenty is that we aren't quite ready to pick who that person is going to be yet. Um, as Democrats, we need to have some conversations amongst ourselves about what our priorities are and, and how we plan to present those priorities to the public. There are some pretty important questions that we need to answer, and not just policy questions um, in terms of what we think is the right policy for the country, but also some political questions in terms of how we expect to effectively present that agenda to the public. Um, how can we make sure that we are putting forward a positive and a productive agenda? Because um, a referendum is not, an election is not a referendum. A presidential election is a choice between two candidates. Um, and we need to not just say Trump is appalling, he is appalling, but we need to say what we're going to do. Um, and so we, we need to start figuring out. Um, I, I think we know the answers to many of the questions about what the problems are, that ail the country are and what some of the solutions might be. But we have some differences in terms of tone and we have some significant differences in terms of scale and ambition of how we want to answer that. And I really want us to pause and have that conversation. Um, they deserve some considered reflection. Fortunately, as it happens, an extended primary process is is a pretty good, not a perfect, but a pretty good way to go about having that type of conversation. Um, we need to give time for some ebbs and flows, time to pause and reflect, time for the media to kind of have one narrative and then the next week decide that no a completely different narrative is the place and oh actually maybe we need to come back to the to the first narrative and and just let all that dust settle and and figure out what's working for us and what's working for the country um and one way to understand the type of conversation that we need to have and and what some of the outcomes of those might be is to have a look at the way democrats campaigned in the midterm elections uh in the midterms, we did not run a national campaign, um, but we did have some very clear consistencies across the country. One consistent thing, we were not afraid of Trump, so we weren't backing down from a conversation about the current president, but we tried not to be distracted by him either. Um, the problem with Donald Trump is that he is very good at attracting attention to himself, and that attention, even the negative attention that he gets, shuts out the sun. Um, it's hard to get any other light shining on any other issue or cause that you're concerned about. So Democrats were pretty good in the midterm election about not pivoting to whatever the crazy thing the current president was doing, but sticking laser focused on our top issues, which were healthcare in this election. And in particular, um, there was a very narrow um, but important point around pre-existing conditions that we used um, as, a, as a kind of lens to understand how craven and disingenuous Republicans are uh, on healthcare policy, because the uh, moves that they have been making to repeal the Affordable Care Act 
would have a number of very, very traumatic outcomes, one of which would be to prevent uh, people, to, to cause people with pre-existing conditions to be uh, able to be denied medical care, uh, to, to be denied health insurance. That was uh, something that uh, Democrat, Republicans tried to deny they were even doing, but the facts were out there. We did get that message across and being able to not get distracted talking about what, what Trump was doing uh, allowed us to get that message through about um, Demo- uh, Republican um, appalling um, actions on health care. On healthcare. Um, we also localized the election as much as possible. That won't be necessarily a a possible thing to do in the presidential election. Um, So we need to think about what our national message is going to be. But, you know, in this election, for the midterms, we were able to really focus on what were the needs of a district, a state, and really focus on the the strength that we have, which is we have candidates from everywhere. So we really let a lot of grassroots candidates bubble to the surface this year. And that worked really well for us because they could talk very authentically about the experience of being from that district, of being from that state. Um, But the one thing that's tricky is that we didn't have one single clear ideological message, I would argue, um, that emerged as a as a result of um, the performance in the midterms. It's not like you can say, oh, progressive candidates did better than moderate candidates. No. Well, a lot of progressive candidates did very well. Some moderate candidates did very well. Um, and some progressive candidates even perhaps underperformed. Um, you didn't, so you, although we had kind of consistent themes in terms of policies we were talking about, it's not like we came out of the midterms with a very clear steer in terms of where we should be on the ideological spectrum. I think that's something we just need to decide through the primary process. And, um, I personally have a a preference. I probably lean towards what I would call, uh, pragmatic progressivism, um, which is, yeah, let's push things a heck of a lot further um, in the direction of a of a more equitable society than we are. And especially on economic policy, we need a much better way of helping um, the middle class and the working class in America, which have been left behind by um, a series of generations of preference always given to um, the well-off and the people who least need the assistance. So that that's my take. Uh, but I think it's a conversation we need to have. I think most Democrats would agree with that, but um, in in terms of what what they think, what they believe in, um, but how to deliver it and what it looks like. Um, I am excited to see some ideas about that. There are only two consistent themes that I saw that came out of the midterm elections that I think we absolutely should grab with two hands and run with uh, in future elections. And the first one is a almost a biblical injunction, be not afraid. Candidates who were a bit more timid and kind of didn't quite know, didn't want to wade too much into the into the, the rough territory, uh, choppy waters, I don't think they did as well. I think it's better when we're confident and we're out there. Um, we are unafraid of the president and we are unafraid of Republicans and we are clear spoken and honest and upfront. That sounds like an obvious and a given, but we have had a tendency as a party, especially when we're running in redder states or purplish reddish states, we have had a tendency to try not to say the things we believe in because we're worried they might not go down very well. I don't think that plays. I think people are onto that. They see that we're not being honest. It's actually better to be perceived as um different, have a difference of opinion with some of your voters than to be perceived as being a lying phony. So get out there. Um, it doesn't mean we necessarily need to 
always choose candidates who deliberately have disagreements with their voters, but we don't need to shy away from where we do have some some points of view that might be different from the voters as long as we can we we're able to explain that and and put it out there and 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 try and change minds um and then the second thing i would argue is um run everywhere um that was something that really made a big difference for us in this in this prime in this midterm election was that because we had so much enthusiasm from our from our grassroots because there were so many people who wanted to run for office there was so much excitement about stepping forward for this election, we had candidates in pretty much, I think, literally every house district. And there have in the past been places where we didn't compete or we didn't compete with great candidates. And as opportunities opened up for us this year, it was amazing. Um, We found that just because of the circumstances, suddenly we found opportunities opening up in places where we didn't expect to compete or to win. And we were lucky enough that because we had had so much enthusiasm, we actually had good candidates ready and waiting for that. We don't always know where our opportunities are going to emerge. And in the presidential election, I think that would translate into, we don't know what the swing states are going to be in this election. So we need to be prepared to fight in every state in the country, including places like Texas. Um, So that's kind of my wrap up on what can we learn from the midterm elections? And where do we go from here with that in mind? Um, I am shopping for a candidate. I'm going to be really out there about that. I don't have a preferred a preferred presidential candidate at this point. And part of the things that I'm trying to do in the process of, of this podcast, um, which hopefully will be a, a regular series um, coming out every Friday, is try and figure out for myself what am I looking for and, and who am I supporting. So thanks for joining me on that. Uh, coming up next, we will talk about who's actually... So... On to the question of the hour. Who is actually running for president? Who's in this primary so far? Um, Well, really, if you're asking the question, who is eventually going to be um, the candidates who will line up in presidential primary uh, debates? We have no idea. We we don't know. Um, Right now, everyone is running. Uh, because everybody is being discussed. I mean, when I say everybody, I mean literally a couple dozen prominent Democrats. And no one is running because no, no one, none of those prominent top-tier Democrats have yet formally declared that they are running. Um, all we have right now is speculation, media buzz, commentary, and it's interesting to kind of take an early read on how these people get talked about um, long before anybody's actually stopped, any of these people have, have put their put their hats into the ring, so to speak. There are only two candidates so far who have formally declared um, that they are definitely running for running for president. Um, that's John Delaney, a Maryland representative, a uh, member of the House of Representatives representing Maryland, um, and Richard o- Ojeda, uh, who is a failed House candidate from the from the midterms, um, running who ran in a West Virginia district. Uh, he's a, a military uh, veteran. Uh, and nobody right now seems to think that either of those is going to wind up being a top tier candidate, although Richard Ojeda is maybe a little bit interesting. He's kind of more on the conservative Democratic side, perhaps. He's a West Virginia um, candidate um, who I think actually 
I'm, I'm right in saying was a Republican previously. So, um, and, and might even have voted for Trump, but now opposes him. So that's interesting. I'm not sure that's a particular voice that people are keen to hear, but we'll see what happens. Uh, there is one other person who is formally exploring a run for the White House. That's Marianne Williamson, a spiritual teacher. That's how she describes herself. Um, an author from California. Again, it doesn't feel like she's going to wind up being a top tier candidate, but I'm not closing the door to anyone at this point. Who knows? It could happen. Um, but turning to the polls, which is a very different description um, of the race, uh, who's ahead in the polling right now? Well, if you look at who the pollsters are, are asking about, right now, the person who attracts the most support is former Vice President Joe Biden. Um, love Joe. Um, he has about a 25%, very hovering around the 25%. So about a quarter of the, uh, of the people asked named Joe Biden. Um, and, but, but he's kind of split. I mean, so Joe Biden's getting about a quarter of the support in, in various polls. Um, undecided is getting similar levels of support, you know, between 25 and 30%. Um, so I think it's fair to say it's not that there is a, um, early front runner in the sense of anybody coming close to, uh, achieving a, a 50% support. Um, after Joe Biden, uh, the person who comes next in the polls is is uh, former candidate Bernie Sanders. He's measuring somewhere between 10 and, uh, 10% and 28%, depending on the poll. Again, it feels like both of these, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, is really just a measure of name recognition. That's all that's happening right now is people see the name, they recognize it. I'm sad to say most of our candidates are not necessarily household names yet, even though they may be to me. Um, so polls are kind of useless. Um, and and really, the person who eventually emerges is probably not the person who's who's near the top of these polls at this point. Although, you know, it very well, I'm not saying it, it, it couldn't be Joe Biden. Who knows if he's going to run? Who, um, I assume Bernie Sanders will run. Um, I suspect, although I could be wrong, I suspect that um, the person who will eventually be nominated may not be either of those two people. Um, although I think if either of them does run, um, I think it's 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 they they both have a very good shot. Who knows what's going to happen? What should we be looking for? That's that's really the question that I want to explore over the course of time in this podcast series. Um, my tentative or early answer to the question, what should we be looking for, is someone who can dominate the national conversation. Um, I am extremely concerned at the way in which it is difficult for anyone who is not Donald Trump to edge into the conversation. Um, there are so many important problems that this country has to solve, and we are so far away from talking about them, let alone, let alone solving them, because everybody is caught up in the psychodrama, the psychodramic hellscape that is the mind of Donald Trump. Um, we need somebody who can give the American public a break from all that and actually turn the nation's attention to um, some interesting and useful conversations, some constructive conversations about crippling inequality in this country, about our declining infrastructure, about our ongoing need to improve our healthcare system, which remains um, very, very fragile um, and, and delicate and, and too expensive and too hard to access. We need somebody who can start talking about what we are going to do about the problem of gun violence and, and actually who believes that we can solve the problem of gun violence. Um, so we need, to, we need to move on from all of this. And I am looking for a candidate who can help us to do that. Um, I am not prejudging at this 
this point who this who that person may be. Um, I think there are a lot of people out there who are shouting the name right now of perhaps a particular candidate they might have in mind who they think can do that. But I want to give all of them a chance to uh, to, to 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 put themselves out there. So I think the PR race is the is the one to be watching right now. So I've made the case for why it's not too early yet to be thinking about the presidential primaries. Having said that, it is two years until we can make an impact on American politics in that particular way. Um, And until then, there is still a lot of work that we need to be doing right here and now. Um, So this segment, which I'm calling What Are You Gonna Do? I want to show three things that you can be doing right now, both to make a difference in terms of progressive politics right here and now, and also to prepare yourself and make yourself a more politically active, engaged, um, informed um, activist. So number one, um, call your senator or representative and urge them to pass the Mueller Protection Act. Um, This is a piece of legislation that has been, we are trying to get it introduced in the Senate um, in, uh, after the new House takes, uh, takes office. I, I think it is likely that we will also introduce it and, and pass it through the House. The purpose of this act is, is effectively, it's complicated, but basically it prevents the president from being able to unilaterally fire the special counsel without external review. Um, obviously, um, I hope you know um, that the, the president has been uh, interfering in various different ways with uh, this investigation, which is coming very close to looking directly at the president's own activities and certainly the activities of his friends and family. The implications of allowing a president of the United States to corrupt justice um, in that specific way are, in the long run, very, very serious. And I would argue not serious only for this current president, but serious in terms of how future presidents will be allowed to behave. Um, we, we can only um, add constraints um, right now um, at, at that level, um, and that, 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 that to some extent at some point the, uh, the horse will boat from the barn if, uh, if, we don't, uh, put, if we don't put these in place. But um, uh, President Trump has fired, his, has fired Jeff Sessions, which is imperiling the investigation. Um, if his hand-picked Attorney General Matthew Whitaker, who has no other qualifications to be Attorney General, um, apart from his open and published hostility to the investigation, if he were to fire Bob Mueller, I think that the implications of that for how criminal justice uh, proceeds in the United States would be serious and lasting. So uh, call your senator, call your representative, tell them that the Mueller Protection Act is important to you, that you are watching it, that you expect them to act on this, and that generally you expect and hope that they will provide the kind of robust oversight that anyone House should have from from any Congress. Number two, um, I urge you to get involved in your local Democratic Party, wherever you are, if you are an American citizen. If you are an American citizen overseas, like myself, that means joining Democrats Abroad. Um, That is the organization of which I am a former vice chair and longstanding activist. Um, We do amazing work, um, most notably helping to register and uh, get overseas Americans to vote. Um, But we also have wonderful policy discussions, events, activities. Um, Please do do join at democratsabroad.org if you haven't already. 
or um, contact your local state Democratic Party if you're back in the U.S. and find out what's going on with them. Make sure you get on their mailing lists. Pay attention to what issues are happening in your local in your local area. It is amazing how much of a difference you as an activist can make on local policy issues just by showing up at the meetings and being helpful, um, by ma- being available to make a phone call when they want to, by being around when somebody's um, asking opinion on something, by using whatever professional or personal expertise that you might have. Um, uh, for your party. So so I urge you to do that. Party politics um, has fallen out of favor um, with a, a younger generation of people who are used to more direct issue activism, but it remains the best vehicle, um, even if an imperfect one, for progressing political um, movement in the direction of the issues that you care about. And if you care passionately about one specific issue, there is a really wonderful thing that you can do, which is show up at your local party and advocate for that issue. Try and get it put into the platform. Make sure that the candidates who are running for your local offices know your opinion on that issue. Um, make a big difference. Um, please, please, I'm going to stand up a little bit for uh, just the power of, of, of your local party and the, the impact that it has. And then, and then finally, and this is a very specific issue-focused one, if you care about gun control, if you care about the epidemic of gun violence and specifically mass shootings that has been sweeping the United States of America. Um, There are a couple of wonderful organizations that I would ask you to join. One is March for Our Lives, um, organized by the, originally started by the young um, survivors of the Parkland shooting. They've been amazing, brave, um, thoughtful, and dedicated um, in terms of taking on this issue um, and trying to make it so that no ever has to go through what they went through. Um, Marchforourlives.com is a fantastic um, website and resource. There's lots of information there, local events and activities. And similarly, I would point you to Moms Demand Action, which also is a slightly longer standing organization, is also doing wonderful work. Both of those organizations um, were very, very active in the midterm election and had a huge impact in terms of urging um, candidates to be proud and open on uh, gun control. All right. So thank you so much for listening. I'm going to try to do one of these every week on a Friday, exploring a different aspect of the primary process each week. I'd like to talk some more about what the stakes are for this election. I'd like to talk about what are the kind of major different philosophical theses, so to speak, that the different wings of the party are running with. And I want to talk about the primary process itself, the complex process by which each state has a caucus or 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 an election to choose the candidate, whether they're open primaries, closed primaries, what the schedule looks like, what all this means to try and help you and me navigate through this process together. Hopefully I'll be bringing in some special guests as well, um, and I would love to hear your thoughts. Please feel free to drop me a a voicemail message, or um, you can always find me on Twitter. I am Karen, J-R, that's K-A-R-I-N-J-R, on Twitter, so that's at KarenJR, um, or send me a voicemail. Thank you so much for listening, and have a great week.